Thanks, Tito. Thank you, guys. It's so good to be here this morning. And I'm going to steal a stool, if that's all right. I promise I'll give it back. But I'm the outreach pastor of New Life, and um, mostly in Turlock, but I'm excited. I've always been excited since day one about what God's doing here in Patterson. It's truly incredible. And um, just thank you for being here and for just letting God work through your life. And um, so uh, this morning, I just want to start off by telling you guys I love you. And that's not in my notes. I love you. And, uh, and let, me, let me pray for you. Is that all right? Father God, thank you so much for your love for us. God, it's so totally amazing. We're saying about it today, God, how you... You, uh, you wipe away the effects of shame and guilt, and God, you, you love us. You don't love us because of how good we are, but God, you love us because of how good you are. And so, Lord, today, we just, uh, we just ask for you to be here. We know that you are, and we pray that, Lord, you would, you would speak to each one of our hearts, God, each, into each one of our lives. We all bring with us stuff that, that you know about, but maybe we don't know about each other. Um, but God, you, uh, you know exactly what each and every person um, is needing from you and is bringing here today. And so, God, I pray, uh, lift burdens, um, heal brokenness, God, restore what only you can restore. Um, God, give hope and, um, and give your joy today. We love you, God, and we pray this in your name. Amen. So... Um, the main thing I want us to, to, to go over today, this morning, is, is this verse. And this is kind of going to be the guiding verse for everything that we get to talk about for the next few minutes. Um, and it's something that Jesus said. So you know it's good, right? It's coming from Jesus. So he says this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and, heavy, and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Whew. And just let that soak in for a second, that no matter what you're carrying today, we, we serve a God who is able to lift those and to actually give us rest. So um, I want us just to keep that in focus. But do any of you guys like to travel? I love to travel. Any of you guys like even, I, okay, and I'm including in that like camping. So any of you like to travel? You know, anywhere outside of your home. I'm not talking to Costco or to the, the mall or whatever, but somewhere where you get to go and stay. I love it. If you could travel anywhere in the world, so just stop for a second. Anywhere in the world, where would you go? New Orleans? Italy? Oh, I like that. Israel? Yeah. Just got to go there. What's that? Vietnam. Vietnam. Oh, nice. Very cool. So, um, so. You know, what do you love most about getting out of Dodge, you know, leaving home and, and going somewhere? I mean, I think maybe we think of like the sights or, you know, for me, it's all about the food. I know that's surprising. It's about the food and the rest, place to just kind of relax. Uh, because at some point, whenever you're traveling, you know that's going to come into the play, right? You know you've got to eat and you know you've got to find some place to rest. So uh, for me, that's a big deal. So we all love good food, right? Anybody here just like, ah, I like terrible food, you know? No, we don't like terrible food. So I had this amazing opportunity this last May to go to Israel and Jordan, and um, I never knew I could eat so much hummus in my life, but um, it was good. It was awesome. Um, and let me show what the typical spread of appetizers was like. So that's 
the table was usually like, where's the table? Because there was just, and they're bringing out more and more and more and pita bread fresh out of the oven. And it was uh, really cool. So hopefully you're, you ate breakfast. But, um, and then there was something that was familiar too, is, uh, you know, we had something, you know what, the interesting thing, you can't get a cheeseburger in Israel because they don't meet, mix the milk with the meat. So it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, I recognize that sign, right? You can, you can tell what that is no matter where you go in the world. Um, the other really important part about traveling is, is the sleeping and the resting, right? Very important. You know, what do we all say about the hotel or motel as long as it's clean, right? So a lot of us can put up with a lot as long as it's clean. So a place to rest is good. I, I couldn't find any place, uh, any pictures of when I was sleeping because I was I was asleep at the time, so I wouldn't take a picture. But I did find this picture. So that's the, that's the Sea of Galilee out there, and that's a guy's really, that's, those are my smelly, uh, rough, tired feet. So um, really cool thing while we were there is one morning we woke up, and there was a storm on the Sea of Galilee that was like huge waves uh, pouring, you know, coming over the sides of the banks and everything. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't think I'd want to be out on a fishing boat uh, in that storm. So it was kind of cool. Imagine Jesus walking on that. Um, so today we're going to look at one of God's miracles that happened in, on the way somewhere. Um, both food and rest played a part in this, in this story, and God changed the lives of a, of a mom and a dad and, and their whole family. And as you witness this family's experience, you're going you're gonna to need to remember that they were just like you and me. All the people in this, in this experience, in this encounter, were just people. Regular people that, um, that God changed their lives. And he brought this miracle in and he did it. And, and it, it's, it's up to us to pay attention to what God wants to show us and, and listen to what he wants to say to us, right? Uh, so with that in mind, let's look at this. So the account of this miracle is found in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can turn to 2 Kings chapter 4. I know you're always reading in 2 Kings. It comes right after 1 Kings. If you turn about a third into way into the Bible, if you have a physical Bible, you can find it. Otherwise, just do a little search and find 2 Kings 4. Um, so, a few interesting things. We're going to look at this guy named Elisha. He's a key player in this experience here. And a key thing about him. So one, he was a prophet. He was a prophet of the Most High God. Um, so he was somebody who God used to speak through, somebody who God used to work through. And prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, that was the primary way that God spoke to his people was through prophets. And so that's, that's who Elisha was. He was an apprentice to the prophet named Elijah, whose name means eternally existing, all-sufficient Lord is God. And so first, this is what's confusing to me sometimes, Elijah. First there was Elijah. Then there was Elisha. See, I don't know why their names are so close, but, but they're really easy to get confused. Elisha's name means the Lord saves. And Elisha didn't just go around saying nice things about God. I mean, he was a, he was, he was a bad guy. I mean, not bad, but like tough. A few years after the miracles we're looking at today, he actually helped to instigate and to um, kind of lead this, this revolt against the house of Omri. I'm sure you've seen the movie. Um, but but it's, uh, so this guy was, he was not messing around. I mean, he was tough. 
Uh, there's another story where he, he, he made kind of like this bold stand against these prophets of Baal. You've probably heard that story maybe before. It's, uh, it's incredible. God sent him places and he went. God spoke through him to people and, and helped people to come closer to God and really to show his care. And so that's what we're going to look at today is, is that God cares for you, but he also wants to care through you. So it's this dual thing that he's doing, right? That he's saying, here, I want you to know what you're going through. You're not going through alone. The brokenness, the heartache, the, the hurt, the pain that you're facing, I care about that, and I want to bring healing and wholeness to you. And, and I want to help you to bring that to others. Not in our own strength, not because we're just such good people, but because God is actually indwelling inside of us and flowing through us to make that difference. So um, you got an idea who Elisha is or who he was? Let's take a journey with him and see what we can learn. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 8. It starts off, it says, One day Elisha went to the town of Shunem. Anybody been there? No? Okay. Um, a wealthy woman lived there, and she urged him to come to her home for a meal. And after that, whenever he passed that way, he would stop there for something to eat. It must have been good, Right? It must have been something that I was like, hey, this is good food. And, you know, she's not giving little baby portions. This is a good place to stop. So Elisha went to Shunem. Shunem was the, it's in the Jezreel Valley between Mount Carmel and the Jordan Valley. So Mount Carmel is a little bit closer over to the coast, Jordan Valley's inland. And there was this valley that sort of connected those. And it was sort of in the middle. He found a friendly place to stop and to rest, which is always good. You got to understand there were no, you know, there was no fast truck stops on the way. There was none of these, you know, really great places to stop. So he had to depend on the kindness of strangers. And we've established that traveling can make you hungry, right? So Elisha was blessed by this woman. She was generous with what God had provided her and her husband. And um, through her, God provided a good place for Elisha to refuel. And he stops there a few more times, and she starts to get this idea. She's been watching him. She's been paying attention to how he acts, how he responds. Isn't it cool sometimes how, you know, you don't even know somebody's watching you, but, you know, they're paying attention to how you treat people and stuff like that. So, so in verse 9 and 10, it says, She said to her husband, I am sure this man who stops in from time to time is a holy man of God. Let's build a small room for him on the roof and furnish it with a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp. Then he will have a place to stay whenever he comes by. Now, I think we can safely say this, this family is going the extra mile here, right? I mean, it's one thing to invite a stranger over to your house for a meal. That's already a pretty big step. Some of us would be like, oh, maybe we can meet at a park or something or go to a restaurant. But into your house, that's a big deal. It was probably part of the culture back then for them. But, but to build a, a guest room uh, on your roof, a lot of the houses in Israel, um, you'll see that they'll, they'll be part of it. There'll be a flat roof and, and maybe part of a column or some rebar going up there. And you're like, oh, they didn't finish the house. And you find out later that they actually are, um, that will be added on if like their child gets married and they need a place to live. So it's like this custom where it's like we sort of build the house knowing that mm, we're going to probably need to add an extra room. So they had that opportunity, but they didn't have any children, as we're going to find out. So, um, yeah, so think about how they made room 
for God to kind of show up in, in this person of Elisha. And it makes me think about my life. Like, am I doing things that kind of make room for, for God to show up, for God to spend time where I live, where I work, where I go to school, you know, in my car, do I invite him into my, into my commute, right? So these are some things that we can learn from. Remember, just like I said at the beginning, Elisha was an ordinary person who God worked through in powerful ways. He made, his, he made room for God to work in his life. And this couple, ordinary husband and wife, but they're making room, they're making their lives available for God to use. They chose to make a room for this man to stay with them, and, and God brought some blessing into their life as a result of that. It's kind of cool how that works. So have we created room for God? Um, he's so grateful. He's thinking, you know what? You guys made me. I mean, think about what you would feel if you're, you're traveling the same route over and over again, and somebody goes out of their way, spends all this extra money, and says, you know what? We want to make you a place here, like your own little your room we're going to put everything in there that you need so that you will just have that you don't even have to worry about it you're going to get food you're going to have a place to lay down you're going to have a place to study or read or whatever you need to do like how incredible is that and so Elisha does what most of us would do right he's like I want to show how grateful I am so he comes up with some ideas he's like hey why don't I you know talk to some authorities and maybe they can do some some extra favors for you guys, whatever. And she's like, you know what? I have everything I need. I'm not lacking anything. But Elisha wants to bless her. And his servant, name is Gehazi, or maybe it's Gehazi, I'm not sure. Um, you know the names in the Bible. You just say them with confidence, and everybody's like, oh, that's how you say that name. So it's Gehazi. Um, found out that she didn't have any children and that she longed for a child. So he tells, so Elisha tells this woman, a year from now, you're going to be holding your own baby boy. And I love that because God sees the parts in our life that are broken. He sees the parts, the, the, deep, the deepest longings inside of us. Number one, if you're writing any notes down today, is this. God brings recovery for the broken. And so sometimes we look at the word recovery and we think drugs and alcohol, right? That's what the predominant thing that you hear about with recovery. But the truth is, is that recovery is about anything that's broken. Anything that's kind of just like not the way it's supposed to be. You could say in, in like a Hebrew term, shalom means everything's at peace and everything's perfectly in order the way it's supposed to be. And, and that, that brokenness is, is what we need shalom for. We need God to bring his peace, his recovery into our life. And he knew she was broken. He knew her deepest desire was to have her own child. In Isaiah, I love this. This is probably my theme verse. I'm going into to counseling, and, and, and um, this is one of the verses that I feel like God has given me that I want to be, I want to, like this verse to just kind of be my heart when I'm meeting with people. It says, He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. He will bring justice to all who have been wronged. That's our God. That's the God that we serve. That when you feel like I'm already broken, I'm bent over, you know, most people would just throw it away. Or I'm a candle that's about to go out. I feel like my fire's all but gone. God say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna prop you back up. I'm gonna bind your wounds. I'm gonna 
like cover the so the wind doesn't get to your flame so you can start to to be alive again verse 16 tells us the next year at this time he says to the woman you'll be holding a son in your arms listen to her response she says no she says no my lord O man of god don't deceive me and get my hopes up like that what does that tell us about her yeah she was like there's not even a purpose in hoping for this anymore maybe she used to i think so i think there was a time in her life where she thought maybe maybe this will be the year and maybe some of us are in that same place where it's like maybe maybe this will be the year maybe maybe this time around it will go differently maybe this will be the time where this change happens or he changes or she changes or maybe this will be the time that our circumstances change but sometimes don't we get to that place where it's like please don't tell me that god's faithful please don't tell me that you know he answers prayer well he hasn't answered my prayer i mean that's where she's sitting right there she stopped praying about it she stopped asking god for a little boy or a girl and so she's all please don't get my hopes up. You can hear the pain in her voice because there's part of us, right, where sometimes we get to where we're almost like afraid to hope, right? Because what, what if I get my hopes up and like it doesn't happen? What if I get my hopes up and they just get smashed again? So maybe it's better just to not, not hope. But a year later, she was holding her son. So far, this is like the greatest story ever. It's like everything's going well. This is a happy ending. It should have just said the end. Ta-da! Right? Can you imagine what it was like? Maybe a month or two after Elisha, after he'd left, and, and her husband walks into the house, and, and she's standing there with this big old huge grin on her face. She's... You know what? I got to experience this because when I was, uh, when we were adopting our first daughter, uh, my wife had to stay in Oklahoma City, and we were living in Houston, Texas. So I was driving back and forth, and I, I drove back to see her and our daughter. And she hands me, ready for this? She hands me a Victoria's Secret bag. What husband doesn't want to get handed a Victoria's Secret bag? So I was excited. And the pull out inside of it though was not what I expected. It was a pregnancy test. And I say we were pregnant. She did all the pregnant stuff. She's the one who was the trooper. But, but the reality was like, it was like a shock. It was excitement. I was like, wow. I mean, even seriously, you could ask her all the way up until birth. I was like, you know, she's giving birth. And I'm, I didn't know whether to cry or to laugh or whatever. I just knew that I wasn't supposed to open candy wrappers because that was not a good thing when she was hurting. Right. So you have to learn those things. She was like, who is opening that candy? Not me, babe. <laughs> but can you imagine like, how excited these folks must have been? You know, We don't know. Maybe they'd been through this experience before. Maybe, maybe there were other times where maybe they got pregnant and lost their baby. I don't know. Um, but it didn't happen this time. This time, the baby boy grew and developed inside of her and and there were no ultrasounds or anything to tell them the sex, but they knew because Elisha spilled the beans. <clears throat> and um, the, the due date got closer. And, 
And uh, she probably called her husband over. Hey, come feel he's kicking, you know. Like, oh, he's going to be a soccer star or something. And they they probably got items and maybe built some things for the baby. Maybe they put together some type of nursery or nursery area in their home. And and finally, it was time, right? She started having labor pains. And remember, ladies, no epidural, no local anesthesia. This is the bite, bite a leather belt kind of time given pregnant. She started having labor pains, and, and um, I know what you're thinking, especially ladies. I know you're thinking, that must have hurt, right? And I just want you to know, I understand, because I had a hangnail last week, and it was, it was brutal. It was brutal. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I do have a little bit, I have been told by women, it's, it's at least in the ballpark of the pain. I, I have had a couple of kidney stones. In fact, I have a picture of, of one of them, I think, a picture of one of the, the little baby kidney stones. Yeah, there he is. So cute. Looks just like his daddy. And um, so their son was born, and he, he does all the stuff babies do, right? He eats, sleeps, makes wonderful smelling things, and cries. He grows up, and he, he gets the age where he can actually go out to the farm and, and help his dad on the farm. So cool. And, um, you know, all good things until one day, one day, the, the worst thing that I think could happen to any parent happens. He's working side by side with his father. And in verse 19, it says, suddenly the boy cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. And his father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. And she carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, then shut the door and left him there. He died in his mother's arms. And what do you think she was feeling? I hope nobody here has gone through that, but but possibly some have. And I don't know everything that she was feeling, but I know this one thing, the way she responded was basically like this. Nope, 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 nope. It's not happening. Uh Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. And I wonder sometimes when these kind of things happen to people, is the first thing that comes to my mind is why? Why do such huge tragedies happen in good people? And then notice, she doesn't take him to his bed. Where did she take him? She took him to Elijah's room. And then look at what the mom does. Verse 22 says, She sent a message to her husband, Send one of the servants and and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked. It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath, but she said it will be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, Hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you. I mean, does her husband even know what has happened? He, I don't even know if he knows that, it, that his son is dead. Sounds like he's confused. I mean, he's like, why are you going? It's not a special day or anything like that. And I have a feeling that, I don't know, it's not written in here, but I wonder if his wife basically gave him that look that every wife learns how to give that's like, I'm not asking permission. Like, this is what I'm doing. And, um, and so she did. I'm thinking... You know, just like that, she was, she was on a donkey. And I have a picture of, of me on a donkey from, from uh, Israel. 
And I just got to tell you that I can tell what the donkey's thinking. He's saying, when is this big guy going to get off my back? Uh, but that was, a, that was a Petra. It's pretty cool. But and then I, you know, just to give you kind of a, a personal experience, I'm going to let you like feel what it's like to ride on a donkey. Yeah, it was, it was great. Anyway, so she's on a donkey. She's headed 18 and a half miles from Shunem to Mount Carmel. And uh, she's going to see Elisha, which means the Lord saves. And I think she was feeling all sorts of ways. Sad, mad, determined, desperate, hopeless, maybe some hope, I don't know. But she's going there, and Elisha sees her coming. And we, it's interesting sometimes, and I know Elisha isn't God, but he's representative. He's, he's, a, he's a servant of God. And when we set out to seek God, how many times do we find that he's already been looking for us? That he's already been seeking us? It says, but when, when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. Then she said, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? So first of all, she didn't want to talk to anybody but Elisha. She had already told the servant, everything's fine, don't worry about it. And she made a beeline for Elisha. And Elisha hadn't yet heard exactly what the problem was, but he could tell something was wrong. He could tell something wasn't right. And, and you know, he, it's not like Elisha wasn't doing anything. You know, he's up there, he's probably worshiping, he's praying. He's, he's, that's what a lot of people would go to Mount Carmel for. And, and in some ways, you can tell by Gehazi's response that this was an interruption. But isn't that true a lot of times with the opportunities that God brings to us? A lot of times they're not convenient. <laughs> a lot of times they're not like right in line with what our timing is, right? But we have to be ready, even in those times, to go, wait a second, something's going on. Maybe God has something for me to do here. So Gehazi thought he needed to be like the bouncer for Elisha. Uh, when he should have been helping her to get to him. Uh, he became an obstacle for her quest for God's touch. So if we ever wonder what we should do in a situation like that, our first response should always be to love the vulnerable. Always. This is number two, if you want to write it down. God brings refuge for the vulnerable brings refuge. You think about what that means. That's a safe place. And this woman saw in Elisha this person who she could go to, who would understand, who would, who would respond the way God responds. So our job is to be like Elisha, not Gehazi. It wasn't hard to see that she was upset, but Gehazi was trying to play bodyguard. Remember when the disciples did something like this with Jesus and the women who were bringing their children to Jesus to be blessed? What did the disciples do? Oh, don't bother the, the, the rabbi. Don't bother the master. And Jesus said, what? Don't keep them from coming to me. And maybe he's saying the same thing to us. Whatever you do, don't keep them from coming to me. In this case, Elisha was God's example of refuge. In Psalm 46, one, it says, God is our refuge and strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. Pay attention to that word, Always. There's never a time where he isn't ready and willing to be a refuge for us. You ever been facing times of trouble? 
been pushed away by someone who, who you thought would help you instead of being brought close? Here's a good litmus test for us. If, if I'm doing something that is pushing people further from Jesus, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> I'm shooting at the wrong goal. I'm, I'm running at the wrong end zone. I, whatever phrase you want to say, I'm playing the wrong notes. This is not something that God calls us to do. He calls us to bring people closer to him. So Elijah hadn't yet been told what God wanted to do, but, but he could tell she was going through something. So he practiced the incredible, powerful, truly spiritual gift called listening. Listening. How many times is somebody going through something and we're thinking about what we're going to say to them and not focusing on hearing them? Listening, being listened to, being heard can be a huge ministry. So she repeated her words of despair that she had said at the very first time when Elisha made her this promise, right? She repeated and she said, did I ask you for a son, Lord? It's like, did I ask you for a son, sir? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? I mean, the message was clear. Her hope was shattered and she wanted God to do something through his servant, Elisha. And Elisha got the message. He started telling his servant, his, his trusted representative, Gehazi, hey, hurry up and go to her house and put my staff on top of the boy. So he, and, and while he's telling her that, him this, it's like this woman is, is, is paying attention and she's seeing what he's doing through her tears. And she watches Gehazi take Elijah's staff and, and she watches him get ready to leave. But something just wasn't sitting right with her. It's like, uh, and she, she turns to, to Elisha and says, but he sa- she says, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. See, because to her, I think what she's saying is, it doesn't matter what your servant does, I'm going with you, Elisha. I'm not going without you. It's like, no offense, Gehazi, but Elisha is the guy God gave the promise through, so he's going to be the guy that God, that God keeps the promise through. So Elisha sends Gehazi ahead anyway, um, but he gets ready and goes with the woman. It says he returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead and laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. And he returned to meet Elisha and told him, the child is still dead. I don't know why he felt like he had to go back and tell him, but he did. And it says, when Elisha arrived, the child, the, the child was still, was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. So the bad news is the staff didn't work. This is how Pastor Jeremy probably feels sometimes, like, why doesn't my staff work? You know? <clears throat> anyway, um, I don't know if Elisha made a mistake. I don't know if Gehazi did it wrong or if there was some other reason why placing the staff on the boy's face didn't have the desired effect, didn't bring about the miracle. Maybe Elisha was trying to teach Gehazi something about faith. I don't know. doesn't tell us. But I also wonder in this situation, did Elisha feel like a failure? Did he feel like, man, I totally messed up. Here, I made this promise to this woman. It looked so good, like God brought this great thing, and then now it's like worse than before. Like it's worse than if she had never had kids because she had that precious boy, and now he's gone. And he had to have realized, like, 
The mom didn't take the child to his own bed. He took the child to his bed. So it's like, dude, this is on you. I wonder if his faith took a hit because he thought God was going to do it differently. Has that ever happened to us? I thought God was going to work this out in a different way. And then we have to get to that place where it's like, do I still believe in God who doesn't meet my expectations? And when I feel disappointed by something that God does or doesn't do, whatever emotions were present in him, Elisha chose to surrender this tragedy to God. I'm getting closer, Colby. I promise. My son's always like, let's hurry up, Dad. Quit talking. Okay. Uh, He went in alone, Elisha. He went in alone. He shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Then he lay down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth, his eyes on the child's eyes, his hands on the child's hands. And as he stretched out on him, the child's body began to grow warm. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This is not a common practice among people who pray for people, right? I've never done this. I probably never will. It seems weird, but this was a different time. Maybe this was God's instruction specifically to Elisha for this situation. And it says, at this time, the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi. Call the child's mother, he said. And when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. She fell at his feet and bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. Then she took her son in her arms and carried him downstairs. So listen, does, does Elisha go and tell the mom? No. Who does he send? The guy who'd come and give the bad news. So the same one who, Gehazi, who had, who had given the news, ah, the staff didn't work. Now he gets to go and get the mom. So he had to see the, the pain on the face of, of Elisha and the mom when he gave the bad news. But now he gets to see the joy and the gratitude and the relief on the face and the excitement as she comes up to gather her son. This is a mom who had lost her precious child, but God rescued him through Elisha. So this is number three. God brings rescue to the lost. He brings rescue to the lost. Think about your own life. Are there things where you've experienced loss? You've experienced, maybe it's an actual loss, like somebody has died, or maybe it's um, something that you hoped for, something that you planned for, something that you, you worked towards only to see it not come about, or, or maybe to see it start and then be canceled. I want you to know today that God sees that hurt. He sees that struggle. And he's not, he's not blind to it. And he sees what you have lost. And some of those things we can see, like maybe enough time has passed where we can get to that point where it's like, okay, I, I can see why maybe God did what he did, but there's a lot of things where we're still waiting. We're still wondering, when is God going to act on this? When is he going to do a miracle in this life? When is he going to bring back that which is lost? And the truth is, is that Sometimes God works very quickly. 
And sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes a lifetime. But imagine some lost sheep. And somehow they got lost. And they're up in the hills somewhere. And they're soaking wet. And I know this is hard to imagine this time of year, but they're freezing cold. And it's getting dark. And all of a sudden, they hear it. They hear the howl of a wolf. And put yourself in the shoes of those sheep. Can you picture Jesus as our good shepherd out searching for the lost sheep? And here's the crazy thing. He invites us. He invites us to be part of that search and rescue mission. Like he enlists us into that, into that team, his team of reaching out to the lost. I have a little picture here of, of, a, of a sheep rescue, just to kind of give you a visual. I don't know if you can see the, the sheep on there. Um, I made them a little too big. It's not real, but, but it's that idea of think of what God would do, what God maybe did in your life to rescue you. And think about what he could do for that person that you've been praying for. Or maybe you've gotten to the point where you don't really pray for them that much because it feels like, I don't know, is it ever going to happen? Can I just tell you, don't give up? Don't stop praying? Add them again to your prayer list because God is active and he's wanting to go and rescue. In uh, Zechariah, it says, On that day, the Lord their God will rescue his people just as a shepherd rescues his sheep. They will sparkle in the land like jewels on a crown. This is God's desire for those who are lost. I mean, God did a miracle through Elisha. We, we read it today. This is not a fairy tale. It's not a myth. This happened. It's an actual story about real people. And the story ends happily. But it wasn't easy getting there. There were probably, I, I'm thinking there were definitely times, we, we talked about it, times where they were like, this is, this is awful. Like, this is the worst. Is, there was both the worst days of, of their lives and the best. I mean, it's truly been like a roller coaster. My wife and I recently went and took our son to Santa Cruz, and um, we learned something that day. We are officially too old for the Giant Dipper. <laughs> it's just painful. You get to a certain age, and it's like, ow, 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 ow. You get to the end, it's like, ah, that's the last time I'm ever going on that. So anyway, um, and that's kind of what this story has been like. It's like, ow, ow, ow. But then you, you get to the end and it's like, wow, that's amazing, God. So God's care. Let's just look at it really quickly. God's care brings, brings recovery to the broken, refuge to the vulnerable, and rescue to the lost. And I'm not a guy that does a lot of alliteration, so I'm pretty proud of myself that I came up with three R's. Uh, and actually, those are the three R's that guides New Life's outreach. This is the way that our missions and our, and our outreach are all focused on these three things. Recovery, refuge, and rescue. I'm going to close with two things. First, what happened to this couple and their son may feel very similar to what you have gone through or what you are going through right now. And you need to hear that God deeply loves you and he's concerned 
about what it is that you're walking through, okay? He has the power to help you, help you recover what's been broken, to find refuge for your troubles and to be rescued. So I'm going to pray for you in just a minute that God will, will lovingly and powerfully intervene whatever that you're facing. Before I do that, here's the second one. Listen, Elijah, as I've said, wasn't more special to God than any of us. He wasn't perfect. He sinned. He messed up. He didn't always hear God clearly. I'm telling you this because sometimes we can get to this place where we think God only uses the perfect. God only uses the holy. He only uses the righteous and those who have it all together. And I just tell you, those people don't exist. We're all broken. We all have areas of our life that God's still working on us. Anybody here perfect? Because if you are, you're in the wrong place. We're all broken. God wants to use us. He wants to use us to bring refuge to the helpless and bring rescue to the lost. So I'm going to pray for you too, that God will show you what your part is to play in that. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God, for your amazing, amazing love for us. Thank you, God, that you see us in the middle of our struggle. Lord, I pray right now for those who are going through just a heartache and tragedy and, and hurt. God, I know that you see them and, and you, 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 your heart breaks and goes out to each and every one of them. God, and you don't just love them from afar, but God, you desire to draw close. And so, God, we, we bring those hurts. We bring those struggles. We bring those those trials and tribulations to you today. God, we bring them all to you. We lay them at your feet. And God, we just say, God, help us. Help us to have hope again. Help us to have joy again. Help us, Lord God, to, to experience what it's like to have your touch in our life. And like Elijah kind of covered that boy, God, would you, would you cover us today? with your presence, God, with your grace, with your loving kindness, your mercy, God, with your presence, would you cover us today and breathe life into those places? And Lord, I also pray for, for us, and even in the middle of all that, Lord, that you would also show us those around us. Open our eyes, God, to see the lost and the broken, the hurting, God. Open our eyes to see, maybe there are people in this day and age, God, that we may not even agree with them. Maybe we see things differently than they do. But God, help us to look beyond that, to see the heart, to see the soul that you died for, and to love, God, with your everlasting love today. God, would you do through us what you did through Elisha? Would you... Bring your care and your miracle and your power through our lives. God, use us, Lord Jesus. Flow through us in ways that brings others to you and bring, brings others to, to wholeness and to, and to your, your rescue. 
God, we thank you for all this. Pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. So in kind of a continuation for what we were just talking about, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper today. And I know for a lot of us, this has been part of a, you know, something we've done for, for many years. For some, it might be kind of brand new. And I know the cup is kind of challenging, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and peel back the plastic and get the cracker out and peel back the other one. If you don't have one of these, would you just slip up your hand and, and uh, the crew here will help you out and get you one. So try to get it all, all open and hold it steady so that you don't have to mess with it later, okay? Because I want to talk to you for just a few minutes and then we'll be done today. So the first thing that we, that we look at with communion is the bread. And I know it's a little bit hard to see this as bread because it looks like styrofoam, <laughs> but it's bread. And the idea was Jesus held it up. Uh, it it kind of it came from this Old Testament thing that God had set up called Passover. And it, the idea was make this bread with, without any leaven. Make it so it doesn't rise. In other words, make bread that can be quick. And Jesus said, hey, this is my body. It's broken for you. That's really what it focuses on. But I want to just take a minute and talk about the fact that the unleavened bread was this idea that we have to be able to, to, to do something in a hurry. We have to be able to be you know, quick to be able to leave because that's what the Israelites had to be ready to leave when, when God said, hey, it's time to go and leave Egypt. And talk about how much God believes in setting slaves free. That's what, that's what God did in mass from Egypt. He did this awesome, powerful thing. We won't even talk about all the different miracles he did there. But they did this bread. And, and sometimes we think, you know, God, I don't know. You know, I, I know, you know, if I pray. I mean, have you ever been guilty of this? Praying like, God, I need you to do this. But even if you don't, it's okay. It's like kind of we pray, but we, we're kind of letting God off the hook. You know, it's like, God, I... You know, I need you to do this in my life, but, but it's okay, you know. It's like if you're too busy, God, or if you, if, if you just don't want to or whatever, it's all right. I think we need to get back to the place where God, we understand that God can heal quickly and powerfully. That sometimes we can pray and he can answer like that. That it can be fast. Yeah, sometimes he does take a long time. Sometimes he does work that way, but sometimes God still heals now. And I, I don't know if you believe that or not, but the reality is that's, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says that, oh, God doesn't heal anymore. And so when we take this bread, remember that. Remember that, that God is not just the God of someday. He's the God of right now. And what he wants to do in our heart, in our life, in our family, at our work, at our school, in our neighborhood... There's things that he could do today. And maybe he will. Do we believe that? Do we ask him for that anymore? God, I need you to do something right now. Understand that this picture that is Christ's body broken for us, he literally said, by my stripes, by the beating he took in his body, you are healed. That doesn't mean that that's some formula that makes it so God has to heal you right on the spot every time. It means that when we're healed, when, not if, 
when we're healed, it's by his broken body. And so today, let's take and eat, thanking him for his broken body, broken for us. Thank you, Lord, for your body. Thank you for enduring that, that horrible, horrible meeting in our place, Lord. Thank you for that, Jesus. Thank you for the wholeness that you bring. Jesus met with his disciples. He did that with the bread, and he also got the cup. So in very much contrast to the bread, we know that wine is an instant if you ever see like a, a Kool-Aid mix that's wine, I don't think it would be good, right? Because wine is something that takes time. And some of the things that God wants to do in our life aren't going to be right now. But he's going to work on something slowly and steadily over the course of time. And some of us have been waiting and waiting for God to do something in our life. And so you can see this not only as his blood that is shed for our sin, which is really what the focus is, but there's also this picture that we can keep, excuse me, we can keep trusting God even when we don't see the answer. We can keep asking God even when we don't see the miracle. So they took a cup and said, this is my blood Shed for your sins, shed for the sins of the world. As often as you drink, do it in remembrance of me. Let's take and drink today. Lord Jesus, today, God, we thank you for this time that we've been able to spend together as a family in this room. God, thank you for letting us join the angels and worship and praising you this morning, God. Thank you for just opening your word to us and showing us this amazing way that you worked in this family. And God, that you want to work in us and that you want to work through us, Lord. So Lord, we thank you for that as well. Thank you for your body that was broken for us and your blood that was shed for our sins. Lord, that we can be whole and we can be healed and we can be forgiven and washed clean, Lord. And we can be brand new today. And Lord, I thank you that if any of us have been kind of like one of those sheep that has wandered off, God, that this moment right now, just like that moment, that we can ask you to come in, forgive us, and we can start a brand new life with you right now. So Lord, I pray for those, for anyone who feels like I've just been messing up, I've just been falling short, I just haven't been living the way I know I should. God, that this would be a moment just between you and them or they say, God, come in. I want to start brand new today. You gave your life for me. I believe that. Forgive me of my sins and help me to follow you. We love you, God. You're truly great. And we pray this all in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Hey, have a great week. All right? Stand together and give somebody a hug or, you know, if they're not into hugging, then wave at them or whatever. But thanks so much for coming. Have a great week.